Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Young Professional African Edition with your host, Jonathan Rwanika and Shanil Mudli, equipping you with all the right tools to jumpstart your career in an African context by sharing experiences and spreading the gospel of information. With original music brought to you by Africa's own, Yunil Badiachi. Hi, and welcome to the third episode of the Young Professional African Edition podcast. So I am super excited today because it's a very, very special episode. I have the honor of introducing my permanent co-host, Shanil Moodley. So even before I allow you to speak, Shanil, I'm just going to give the audience a short intro. He's a finance professional who currently works in the management consulting space for a big four firm, and he's passionate about technology, digital transformation, and social entrepreneurship. He's a UCT alumni, and during his time there, he started a small t-shirt company catering to the vegan market, as well as Fees Must Fall. He's an ex-member of the South African Navy, and served some time in Thailand in 2011. Outside his normal day-to-day work, at the end of 2019, Chenille was selected to attend the Unleash Innovation Labs in Shenzhen, China, where he helped facilitate the development of solutions to address the UN Sustainable Development Calls. He also currently serves as the chair to his firm's Africa Millennial Board. Wow. What a CV, Shanil. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Happy to be here. And uh, thank you for the great introduction there. Just some background there, I guess, on Jonathan and I. Uh, we're both serving on the Millennial Board. So it's quite cool to to have uh, to have this, this dynamic going on here. It's, it's yeah. really, really exciting for me as well, Jonathan. Yeah, you remember, I think one of my the first episodes uh, I did was about networking, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's one of the fruits of that. Is yes, now, definitely. Now we're collaborating over something that could be helpful to other people. Um, 100%, 100%. Okay, so Chanel, so this episode is a, is a lot about you because uh, uh, you're new to the show and I want the viewers to, to, to know who the co-host is. Uh, so I have a few questions for you. Let's get into it. <laughs> I'm just going to start firing away. <laughs> okay, so what inspired you to start a career in management consulting? Uh, so, so I think really, and, and maybe other people um, leaving university will, will realize this or the penny might drop. But while I was doing my degree, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. And what you often see is that when you join, the, when you actually go into quite a specific field, so I did a corporate finance program, for example, um, after university, I realized that this is something that I didn't quite, quite enjoy that much, that the theory was very different from what happens in, in practice. And um, I think sort of the best way, if you, if you enjoy problem solving and um, if you understand the underlying, the sort of the underlying basics of what you enjoy, consulting was sort of drew me in. So I, I knew that I, I enjoyed problem solving. I know that I enjoy uh, strategy 
and, and sort of analytically breaking down problems. And, and that's really what drew me towards consulting um, because it allows you to be more general, to, to experience um, a lot more things and, and a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really what drew me in. So I think that's a very powerful uh, point that you that is coming across from you because uh, I think when we start out, like we study a, a certain thing, then you start off in corporate and something. Uh, and of course, you haven't had practical experience uh, about certain jobs. Then you realize that you're not made for certain things and you start pivoting away into things that better utilize your skill sets and stuff like that. I think that's a very very powerful thing. I think we should a- actually have a separate episode for that, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what type of work does a consultant do, Chanel? So it's, it sounds really sexy, right? Like management. <laughs> like, what is it? Like, what do you do day to day? Yeah, so, so I think, and, and I mean, once again, so I, I think it's important to actually go into the detail on, on this podcast so people actually understand what you're getting into. Uh, when you just ask a management consultant, you know, what do you do? The, the typical answer is we, we solve complex business problems uh, for, for companies using a data-driven approach. That's like the, the, the standard one, right? It covers you. Um, but, but when you actually get into it, um, there's, there's a lot of different subsections already within consulting. Uh, so there's a strategy aspect, which, which really works with your, your execs and your C-suites, where you start identifying, you know, what's the vision of, of a particular business? How do we need to change? How do we need to transition? Uh, where I find myself, which is sort of exactly where I want to be and what I love, um, is the operational side of things. So once a business has decided, um, you know, if, if it's a big bank and they've decided that now they want to become or adapt to, to the digital transformation and who I are, uh, what what we will then do is go in and see how do we, you know, how does this actually look for the business where when the when the um, rubber hits the road. So how do we successfully transition? What are the change management aspects that we need to look at in terms of people, in terms of technology, in terms of infrastructure? So it's really getting into the nitty gritty of how do we now execute our strategy for this particular business and make it tangible um, going forward. So maybe a question I'll have for, for you, you know, is like, let's say, let's say I'm just a student that's in university right now, because all, all that you've told me is, is, is very, is very specific, very detailed. Uh, but for someone who doesn't know, um, who has never worked before, who's just studying, like, how do they know that management consulting is for them? Uh, is there a way uh, of knowing, because obviously the C-suites and understanding that, that, that sort of, dynamic that you understand now comes with experience yeah yeah so so i think yeah so 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 the way that i transitioned is is you i think you need to understand yourself first so you need to be able to 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 look at sort of the underlying principles of what stimulates your mind so when when i say that i mean i know that i enjoy problem solving and and this is something that i've picked up from either being at university or, or during my first job, wherever it is, you, you identify this in yourself that, okay, look, I enjoy problem solving. Another thing is, you know, I'm quite good at it. And I, and, and this is this, a lot of people might relate. I cannot work on the same thing for too long. I get bored. Um, and I, and I think that's sort of a byproduct maybe of being a millennial, but I do get bored. And then when you start to understand the way, the way you think and what makes you tick, uh, then you can go out and say, well, what careers sort of have 
these aspects. So you're not really matching yourself to, let's say, a pay, a salary, or, or you know, a fancy title. What you're doing is you're understanding who you are in, in terms of core functionality, and you're matching that then in, the, in what's offered in the workplace. And I think that's sort of what you should do if you are thinking about going into consulting. If you do enjoy that, um, you know, fast-paced environment, problem-solving, um, not always having a, a structured answer, and you know, thinking outside the box, then that's something that you could potentially go into. Wow. Okay. I, I'm probably going to learn from this, from this episode too. <laughs> because you're saying very important things like uh, knowing yourself uh, and then trying to match that with the jobs that are out there, you know, or like disciplines that are out there. But as I yeah. said, we'll probably have an episode on this. No, we definitely have to, we need to come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, okay, before we go deep in the corporate and uh, the stuff that you have done, uh, I know you're from South Africa, but where are you from in South Africa? And how has it been uh, growing up in a young democracy like a, like a South Africa? Sure, yeah. So, so I'm actually from uh, Pretoria originally from a little, it's classified as a township, but it's, it's developed, it's called Lodium. It's like a little Indian township in, in South Africa. Uh, so it's, it's probably where all the Indians are from. It's either there or like Laneja and Joburg. But if you're from Pretoria, usually from there. And, and sort of growing up in a young democracy, I think I've, I've been quite lucky because my family has, have been very active um, in the past in terms of the, the apartheid uh, regime. So we were always exposed to that um, growing up, always being exposed to sort of pan-African literature, um, you know, and, and even outside of that, that the martyrs of the world and, and what they've done for us, uh, Che Guevara's journey in Angola, whoever it is. Um, so I've, I've always been exposed to that, I think, because of my, my upbringing and that really shaped me. And then I think growing up in a, in a young democracy, the difficult part is you hear about all of these exciting things from like your family about, you know, being principled and doing this and fighting this. And then you're sort of growing up in a young democracy where there's not really a, a direct fight. You know, we're not out here really protesting um, an, an oppressive regime, but there's a lot of issues still. And then it's sort of, how do we unpack this in, in the context of being young, but also needing to focus on your corporate job or, you know, whatever it is. So, so I think there's, there's a lot of um, confusion and, and it's not as black and white as it was, um, you know, when you know that something's bad, when you're growing up in an oppressive regime, it's black and white, we need to make a stand, we need to fight. For a young democracy, it's like you need to assess it more and be reflective and say, like, is this right in, in just logically? Is this wrong logically? Where do I stand? I, 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 for, for one of your points there, I think I, I call it the, the corporate dilemma, you know, because you, yeah. you go to university, you study by yourself, you, you have to focus on this corporate job. You have to deliver every single time. You, you end up focusing on yourself, you know, uh, and uh, that, that's how bubbles I created, I think, uh, because individuals have, we, we end up not having the, the capacity to look beyond ourselves. I see you're passionate about social entrepreneurship, and I know that's different from just entrepreneurship, you know. Social entrepreneurship looks to actually have an impact on the communities you're yeah, in your business in and stuff like that. So, yeah, maybe just to digress for two seconds, like why social entrepreneurship? Oh, what's what's giving you that push? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think, and I think it's also important because when people say social entrepreneurship, automatically you start thinking like an NGO or an NPO, you know, something like that. And, and that's not what I'm about. And I'm very honest about this. I do want to make money. Like anyone from Africa, you need to, men's must eat. Eh? So, so you do want to make money. I just think that, um, that there, there's a, very much an overlap between being honest about making money, but also affecting your community in a positive way. I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive. Um, so when I say that, the way, the way that I see it is you are part of, you, you're not alone. Whether it's your family, whether it's people, your peers, whoever it is, there's always a community of stakeholders around you. And when you're, when you're creating a business, I think it's important to be cognizant of that because that's where your support is coming from, right? So it's, it's sort of, it should be in, in, in some way or form, almost a circular economy, if you, if you think about it in that way. It's, you're trying to create a value add. So for me, it's not a product. Whatever you, even if you're selling a service or whatever, it's, it needs to be a value add. So what value am I giving back to this community? And then what value can my business derive from this community? And how do we then grow the pie for everyone? Okay, so I, I'm really passionate about uh, this, this, this theme of contextualized problem solving. You know, I'm a firm yeah. believer in the fact that, you know, we need more giant African corporates that understand Africa a lot more uh, and the context that they're operating in. Like, what's, what's your view? Do you, do you think corporates are, are doing enough? Are we, are, am I being unfair a little bit in that analysis? Because, you know, corporates ultimately are driven by the need to make uh, profits, of course, and, and other things. But you also need to make money still. But are they doing yeah. enough in conceptualizing <laughs> their problem solving in making that, those profits? Yeah, so, so I think that's a very, and that's a question I've asked myself as well. And, and, and I mean, I don't have the right answer, but, but sort of my way of thinking about it at least is I, I drew a distinction between um, building a business and running a business. So when you're thinking about the responsibility of corporate um, and, and sort of corporate leadership and those sort of things, that's essentially asking the question when we're running these huge companies, because that's, that's when you're implementing like from a CEO perspective or any C-suite individual. Um, how do we run this business in an African context, right? Versus how do we build a business as a young startup in an African context? And I think the two are very different. Um, and, and I think just focusing, I guess, on the corporate side, because that's what you were asking about. Are we doing enough? The answer, I think, is no for me. Um, in terms of contextualizing it from a corporate perspective. But I don't all necessarily think it's our fault. I, I, I just thought about this in a bit more detail. And if you go and you have a look at a lot of these, these corporates, uh, huge corporates, they're run by, by CEOs who are usually from the continent, but they went and got their education at your Harvard universities, at your Oxford universities, which is great, right? But you're almost colonizing your mind when you go there. If you think about something as silly as, as a McDonald's, uh, if you go to Harvard University and there's a McDonald's outside there, aside from the education you're getting, every once a week, let's say you're getting a McDonald's burger. When you come back home to South Africa, you're going to then say, oh, you know, I had this really good burger. It was McDonald's in America. Let me open up a few franchises here. And what have you done now? You've duplicated the experience from America into South Africa. You've started creating pockets of thought and, and taste or whatever it is um, within your own country, it's not from there. And I think the ideas work the same way. 
the ideas that you're exposed to when you go to Harvard and all of that, it's in the context of the Western world. So I think we need to, you know, establish a a, a stronger network of of maybe educational institutions. I'm not sure what the answer is, but but that's really my my thought, I guess, on on what corporate's doing. Maybe to add on your thoughts there, like I, I do believe that there is value, obviously, you probably do as well, that there's some value in going like, abroad and learning from other yeah. economies and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, a, a side effect of that is that when you do create these companies, they sort of have the incorrect identity. Because I sometimes joke with friends and go like, you know, sometimes when you're in Santa and you, you, you can feel like you're in Wall Street, you know, they, 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 they <laughs> doesn't even feel much different, you know, but yeah. is that correct, you know, <laughs> because you're in, in Africa now, you know, it's, it's, it should be different, right? Um, but yeah, I think those are deeper nuances. And for sure, I think, I, I hope we have an episode that delves into that, you know, in the future. Uh, no, I'm writing it down, should you? We're not going to forget this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm making notes here. I've got my notes. Making some notes for us here. Um, okay, so just continuing on, uh, on just learning more about you, Chanel. Um You you served your country. You served for the South African Navy. You know that's something. Uh, you're you're literally the only person that I know, or well, in my circle, that has served his country. Um, what influenced that decision to serve your country? When you did yeah so so i think for me there's there's two there's two parts to that there's obviously the greater the greater social aspect and, and like i said that that's a lot to do with my family growing up with my family it's always been about you know understanding what they've done in the past or what south africa's done in the past against this regime um the oppressive regime etc cetera, etc cetera. and and i think what i started feeling um which which i'm sure a lot of younger generations or young democracy babies felt as well is that we, uh, I think the best way to explain it is when, when my parents got to vote, they knew exactly who they're voting for and they were, they were happy to cast that vote wholeheartedly. What we sometimes struggle with is we, we don't often get behind our cause wholeheartedly because every, every political uh, regime now or, or every political party has its flaws, right? So we don't know what it's like to be like, no, this is the 100% the right thing to do. And, and I think in terms of the social aspect, what I wanted really from the experience is to understand, um, you know, what it's like to serve something greater than myself, to, to wholeheartedly give myself to a bigger picture, which, which is my country, and, and, and understand, you know, how do you, how do you serve as a collective, but function as an individual. Um, so, so that was a big thing for me. And then I think the second thing is, Obviously, I've, I, I was very privileged growing up from, from an economic standpoint. I got to go to good schools relative to the rest of South Africa, a good university. And, and I always felt that, um, am, I, am I only where I am because I've had this privilege? And that always bothered me. I never felt like I was being successful, I was doing anything. And serving in the Navy is like, the way I saw it is sort of an equalizer. You know, you've got people who, parents are domestic workers, you've got everyone um, coming in there. And I told myself, you know, if I'm able to still function here and learn alongside everyone else, then I know, like, you know what, actually you are showing your worth and, and you're working hard at, at something. Wow, that's, that's, that's beautiful, you know, like, uh, you're making some of us self-reflect, like, why, why was joining the army never something that I thought about <laughs> to, like, um, 
digest that, you know, because I think you said a lot of really interesting things there. But while I do that, uh, there are three things that you listed as your passions, right? Uh, you talked about technology. You talked about social entrepreneurship. You talk about digital transformation. Maybe just to dissect them individually, like what fuels your passion for technology and why? Yeah, so, so I think once again, and I, and I think it's hard to obviously see them as separate in the context of my why. Um, the reason I'm passionate about those three and sort of why I'd say social entrepreneurship is a big thing for me is I see technology as a means to make things more accessible, whether it's education, um, whether it's financial inclusion, whatever it is, um, I see it as a, as a means to make things more accessible to, to, a, larger, to a larger public. And for me, that is my definition of when you should apply technology. If technology does not help or include more people um, than the current systems we have, then I don't really, I'm not that interested in it. So I'm, when I say technology, I'm not that interested in like, you know, what's the new technology on the next iPhone? Um, I'm more interested in when we're building a blockchain, is it going to be more um, inclusive if, if there was a cryptocurrency on it? Is it going to be more inclusive of the unbanked within the economy? Are we going to be able to reduce those so that more people are added to the economy? And, and for me, I think that's like a big aspect of it and, and why I'm so passionate about it. Okay. Um, maybe just to extend that, because I think you're also touching on social entrepreneurship now. Uh, and I think we already touched on it when you were talking about uh, how you are passionate about making money, but you're also passionate about impact. And I think a lot of people our age, you know, we get a little bit disillusioned uh, in corporate because you, you feel like you're not making an impact. I think I speak for a lot of people because I have these conversations with a lot of people in corporate because remember the people in corporate are actually the privileged few that have made it into these big corporates. Uh, they're yeah. now carrying responsibilities of like, you know, entire families and communities, and they feel like they're not making an impact, you know. So this thing about impact, as a, it's probably a difficult question, but like what advice would you give uh, a young person who's in corporate right now who feels like they're not making an impact, you know? What's yeah. The yeah, so, so I think that's something that I struggled with as well. It's sort of the question of, should you be joining like a nonprofit, um, you know, that, that's really getting involved in things, um, but then, you know, you, and, and you need to be honest, you're going to get paid less um, and, and you don't know where the money is going to come from versus do you join a big corporate who you know, like, and I'm not saying this is all corporates, but a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's for the picture, uh, for the gram. So, so, you know, what's the balance between the two? And, and sort of the way that I, I, I reasoned it is if you think about your impact on, on sort of a graph and um, you consider the number of people that you're affecting and the size of your impact, right? So let's say you're working for a nonprofit organization. You're making a big impact, but because you're a small organization, it's on few people, right? And then you consider a huge organization who's, who's maybe doing things for the gram. So they've, they've got more access to people so it's a bigger amount of people, but maybe the impact is smaller. And, and sort of what you'd, what you'd realize if you had to plot that out, I guess, is that the, the area under the curve would sort of be similar. Um, and, and really the, the point is, 
you can go high impact with few people, you can go lower impact with many people. But at the end of the day, you need to find what fits for you and what you're comfortable doing. Um, but you, you're still able to affect um, people in the grand scheme of things in, in, in terms of making an impact. It just might not be as um, rewarding, I guess, depending on who you are. Yeah. Well, I, for one, uh, believe that uh, there is space for us to, ex to exist in corporate and to make an impact. Uh, I think a w uh, one way we've been underutilizing is the power of collaboration for me. Um, like, uh, I, I remember when we had a call, uh, I think it's last week, and we, we realized that our ideas of, 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 of podcast were similar. So we decided to just collaborate, just have one podcast where we share ideas and create and create and create, you know. And uh, I don't think that's easy for a lot of people because I think often when you create an idea, to you, it's like it's your idea, right? So you want to just do it yourself. Maybe get some help later, but yeah, people don't want people don't collaborate enough. I think. Um, why is that? Well, why why do you think collaboration is low? Yeah, so so I think it it comes to the point of and and if I'm being honest, it's going to boil down to an ego thing. Um, that that's what I I believe. I think it is so sort of if you have an idea, um, you want people to know that it's yours, especially if it's a good idea. Um, and, and you want to sort of build that brand association with yourself. And, and I think where, where we need to sort of move away from is, and, and I think we, we had the same discussion last week, is the idea should be more important than the people attached to it. Um, so it, it needs to be, or sort of that's the view that you should have if you, if you are a collaborator. You need to have the view that you're building something and it's, you, need, you need others um, to interact with it. And, and I think this is, even if you look at some of the biggest corporates in the world, the power of collaboration. So there's something called, I think it's Joy's Law. Um, and, and really this shows that the smartest people in your organization sit outside your organization. So how do you include them into your business model? And, and this shows the power of collaboration. So if you look at Google, uh, for example, Google's power sits in the people who are using its search engine. If you weren't using its search engine, it wouldn't be a useful tool. Um, another tool would be more useful. So then you need to understand like and, and all of these businesses, um, Airbnb, a lot of the big, big tech businesses, all of these people who are collaborating um, are also customers and they sit outside your own business. So conceptually, your ideas should be the same. In order to you improve your idea, in order to utilize your idea to the best of its ability, you need to understand that you need the people outside of your idea as well to come in and build on it. Um, another food for thought, uh, I, I think, uh, I think we are touching on a lot of things that require us to, to delve deeper at some point. Uh, yeah. So with regards to this podcast, what will characterize success for you? What will be success in terms of this podcast for you? Yeah. So, so that's a good one. And, and, I, and I think, you know, when you, when you think about, success um for me especially with something that i'm passionate about it's i i'm not going to really see it from a monetary perspective um the way that i see it i don't even know if it could be measured but what i what i'd like is that other graduates um and and other young professionals um it, it would mean a lot now if, if i see them um, at some point along the journey 
And uh, I, I think if one person had to approach me and say, you know, I, I made a decision because I was informed by this podcast, um, I, would, I would count myself as successful. Um, so I think it's really that information symmetry, providing insights from the inside of corporate to the outside to, to young graduates or young professionals or whoever else it is. So I just think if we can help somebody uh, make a more informed decision, um, around around Africa and around um, navigating the space. For me, that that's successful. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that as well. I think Jonathan, uh, you know, sort of how do you how do you see it? Yeah, for me, like uh, it's something that I ponder on a lot. Uh, you know, for example, people that are at Harvard right now, uh, and you uh, you you went to UCT great institutions, you know, technically, when we talk about exams and academic knowledge, you're probably at par. You're the same people, you know, like you, yeah. they, there's nothing they're doing at Harvard that is insanely different, you know. But when mm. it comes to, like, game changes in the world, you know, it tends to be the Harvards and the Oxfords and, the, uh, and universities like that. Because for me, it comes down to access to information. We already know university doesn't teach us personal finances, doesn't teach us all the important things in life, you know, aren't really actually yeah. taught in university. So where are they taught? They're taught in social circles, you know, mentors, uh, individuals that take an interest in you and, you know, just give you advice from time to time. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be cr crazy groundbreaking advice. It can be just simply how to uh, handle a difficult manager, you know, Jonathan has, I've had maybe three years experience in corporate now. So maybe I have a little bit more to share about maybe how to, to, to handle situations like that. You know, even the small things require someone to just give you some advice. And I hope this podcast for me, success would be people that don't have those type of people in their lives who give them uh, that sort of advice. Uh, who has to be those people? whether through us or through inviting guests that have more experience than us. Um, yeah, I hope we spread the gospel of information. <laughs> I, I love that, that phrase, <laughs> the gospel of information. <laughs> no, definitely. No, I think, yeah, definitely um, very, very important to spread the gospel of information. So the final part of the show, uh, we're just going to be uh, looking at the comments uh, of uh, people leaving on our different uh, pages on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, One of the questions which was cool um, was about matric. It was something around matriculants. So Nilsagram and Nilesh, yeah. So yeah. Nilesh asks, how do young people enter the market without matric? Yo. You want to go first? So, so you want to go there? You want to go first, Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, it's very difficult, eh? Because um, most things require metric. You know, we probably need to research on this, Janine, a little bit more. Um, uh, but, but my advice will probably be to the technical skills. But to get into technical colleges, you still need metric as well. But, but, but don't you think that that then brings up a more important question, um, which for me is, again, a Western idea versus 
something that's continental. For instance, if you're going to work at Toys R Us, the requirement is still that you need a matric um, certificate. Why are we in a country with you know, 30% plus unemployment creating a barrier to entry for work in which matric does not necessarily, um, you know, the, the, the skill sets doesn't correlate to the job. So in order to pack shelves in Toys R Us, and why do you need a and given the context that we already, yes. we already, we already know that yeah. university and actual practical work, there's already a disconnect. So yeah. like, we're using something that's already disconnected from like the actual real world as a metric of, of people entering the job market. Yeah. So, so I think I don't have a question, um, an answer like directly for that question. But for me, it's the more important question is, why is this our metric? Why are we trying to assess the same way that the Western sets um, their metrics? Maybe it should come down to, in, in an African context, in order to get this unemployment rate down, we need to start looking at what skills are necessary for this job and does this person possess it? And if not, what does he have to do to upskill, he or she have to upskill himself um, to, get, to get to that place? I think yeah. that for me is a question. I think, Shanil, you're touching on something, something important because I think we underestimate, we're in the day and age where institutionalized learning is, is we're moving away from that. Well, not completely. Yeah. You can do short courses. You can do hmm. a, a, a few certificates that can bolster uh, you up because you don't need a matric to do, to do short courses, right? I don't think. Yeah, no, you don't. Yeah, so, 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 so I think that is the way. That is a practical way in which you can enter the job, job market without a metric, uh, whereby you just do short courses relevant to the job that you want to do. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, cool. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Young Professional African Edition. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Music, Spotify, or whatever platform that you use to listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a follow. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at YP underscore Africa. That's YP underscore Africa. And if you've missed an episode, don't stress. You can catch up on our YouTube channel, YP underscore Africa. Like and subscribe, guys. Like and subscribe. That's it from us, guys. See you next week.